Welcome back to another episode of The Genius Podcast. My name is Karen Doyle, your host and founder of The Genius Project, an initiative for Catholic women designed to support and resource you towards growth in all areas of life, spiritual, personal and professional. We seek to do this through our online courses, the Catholic Women's Masterclass, our Catholic Coaching Programs for Women, the Genius Podcast, which you're listening to, and our other resources and live virtual Catholic Women's Summits. If you're interested in learning more about any of these initiatives, you can visit our website, www.geniusproject.co, or you can send me an email, karen at geniusproject.co. Over recent months, the Genius Podcast has grown so much and we're so grateful for your support. If you are liking what you've heard on the Genius Podcast, can I invite you and ask you to do me a little favor? Go onto the podcast platform and leave a review and a rating. This really helps to spread the work and the mission of the Genius Podcast and we'd be very grateful. You can also join us on Instagram, genius underscore project underscore daily, or you can watch the live recording of the podcast on the Genius Project YouTube channel. Ladies, if you haven't signed up for the free live virtual Catholic Women's Summit, please head on over to the website www.geniusproject.co and do that right now. You are not going to want to miss the keynote talks that are going to be happening at this live virtual summit. We bring together some incredible Catholic women who are going to give keynotes. Over these couple of days, these women are going to pour their wisdom, their encouragement, their formation into you so that you are filled, so that you have your cup full to go back out and be Christ's witness and presence in your sphere of influence. So ladies, head on over to the website, sign up right now before you listen to this podcast, because I'm serious, ladies, you are not going to want to miss a minute of these keynote talks. So on this week's episode of The Genius Podcast, we're continuing our discussion around vocation. We've been taking a look at our different vocations in life and how we live our universal vocation out through marriage, religious life, or the dedicated single life. Today, it is my great pleasure to bring to you an interview with Luanne Zuo. She is the author of the book, Single for a Greater Purpose. In this conversation, Luanne and I are going to be talking about living the dedicated single life. Now, if you're not in that current state of life, I encourage you not to tune out. Stay with us because we're going to be looking at both the struggles and the joys in this current season of life and how as religious and married women, we can come alongside women who are living the dedicated single life and really support them in their vocation. In her book, Single for a Greater Purpose, A Hidden Joy in the Catholic Church, Luann shows that contrary to popular opinion, the single life is often a holy, joyful vocation lived out, but sometimes in a hidden way by people who have had an authentic encounter with Christ. She sheds light on this little understood vocation that's discerned and embraced by a growing number of single people who neither marry nor enter religious life. She says that these souls are joyfully single for a greater purpose, nourishing both the world and the church with the unique spiritual strengths and graces that God gives to souls who deliberately remain single for him, who are in the world, but not of the world. 
Luann is the Executive Director of the Braille Public Charter School Network and a voluntary after-school Catholic faith formation program in the South Bronx. Prior to joining Seton Education Partners in 2018, Luann taught finance, Catholic social doctrine and educational reform in developing countries at the Catholic University of America. She's had an incredible career and she now spends her time working in a faith formation program in the South Bronx. I really hope and pray that this interview blesses you, whether you are living religious life, married life, or the single life. Luann has some great pearls of wisdom to share with us today. Luann, it's wonderful having you on the Genius Podcast. Welcome all the way from the East Coast of the United States. Well, thank you for having me. It's probably easier time-wise for me than it is you right now. Actually, it's not too bad. It's 8.30 in the morning, so I've just got all my kids off to school, and it's a great time, actually. So you're joining us from New York, is that correct? I am, yes. And you've just been away for a little while, you were saying. Yeah, so it's um, today's Labor Day, so it's kind of the official start of our, if you will, the school year, the fall. And so um, I've been in Maine for big chunks of this summer, which is a little north of about five hours north of New York on the coast. Yes, it's beautiful. I've actually traveled up there many years ago, back in 1999, which is a, a very long time ago. My friend and I backpacked around the United States and we, we went up through Maine in the fall. So it was just stunning. I, I remember it. It's quite magnificent, isn't it? It is. It's a beautiful state. Um, summer, fall. Winters are, are long, but the, it's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful state. We traveled up to um, Prince Edward Island. My friend, had a, she loved Anne of Green Gables. And so we went up there and we were there for a week trying to find the bridge where Anne and Gilbert kissed until we realized that was actually in Nova Scotia. <laughs> so it was quite the expedition, but um, it's a stunning part of the world. <laughs> Well, look, Luann, we're, um, we're going to be deep diving. We've been looking at vocation in the Genius podcast over the last couple of weeks. And one of the books that you've written is Single for a Greater Purpose. And so you've actually been requested by a number of women in Australia to be a guest on the podcast. They've reached out and they've read your book, actually, and they found it so helpful in their season and their vocation of being single for the Lord. But before we dive into that, I'd love you to give us a little bit of context and background about who you are and what you do. So I was born Catholic in a, in a very good Catholic family in the mid sixties. And um, we, because of my father's job, we moved around all over the place in the States, Europe, Puerto Rico. So I always kind of early on, I had an international experience and ended up um, studying and living in Europe then when I was older for a number of years and ultimately ended up in an international career um, on Wall Street following Latin American companies. So I spent about a decade traveling quite extensively throughout the region, working crazy hours. Um, it was during the 90s and early 2000s, during the big kind of Wall Street yeah. bubble, if you will. And um, I had what everyone, the world, I should say, um, said would make you happy. This great job at Goldman Sachs, this great apartment in New York, you know, everything, um, success. And something left me really empty. And 
I never left my Catholic faith, but um, learning kind of basically growing up in the 70s and 80s, it was a bit of a dry period. And um, so I, I, through a, a series of providential events, started going on some retreats and really learning about my faith and met a few really good Catholic priests that were able to answer a lot of questions. And um, I, it led me to the discernment that I just needed to leave Wall Street. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And then I was downtown during 9-11, and that had a big impact. Um, we actually you know, saw, we, I was just a few blocks south, saw from our window. And so that gave me the impetus, finally, kind of life short to really do something different with it. Um, I ended up founding a not-for-profit that worked with education in Latin America and ran that for a little over a decade until I discerned um, that God was calling me elsewhere. And I, I spent a little sabbatical, four-month sabbatical that I kind of created for myself in Rome. And I um, studied some theology at the Angelicum, which is the Dominican University, and just spent a lot of quiet time in prayer and study. And... Um, at that time, I was starting to come to the thinking, I don't know if it was yet the realization that God was calling me to himself, that not to be married. Like, I think most of us growing up just assume we're going to get married and have a family. And I think I did not grow up having access with a lot of religious sisters. So frankly, I never thought of myself as a nun. Although when I came back more deeply to my faith, I gave it some serious discernment and visited some convents. And it was just clear to me, God was not calling me to that. Um, so I, um, when I came back, I, I actually, when I was there, I met two Dominican theologians at the Angelicum that really helped me. Um, one that really encouraged me in my writing and another one who really helped me with the theology around is this a legitimate vocation and under what circumstances might it be? And um, really what, what is vocation at the core? So I spent a number, a couple of years thinking about it, doing research, and then sat down and spent about um, four or five months holed up writing it. And so that's kind of, Beautiful. that was a few years ago and where we are, where we are today. Yeah, fantastic. What a fabulous journey. And it, what an incredible experience you've had. You've experienced Wall Street, you've experienced discerning religious life, like so many different experiences in there, which is just so interesting. I could spend the whole day <laughs> chatting to you. I, I find people's stories fascinating because we learn so much, don't we, from one another in our stories. And, you know, the other thing, I think, well, it was Pope Benedict um, Meredith who, who in a sermon, and it's in the Old Testament, you know, God writes straight with crooked lines. And I think, especially for those of us that discern single, dedicated single um, life, most of our lives and our paths have been pretty wound about. Absolutely. And I think that, like you said, sometimes if we're not called to religious life and say so we're not called to marriage, there is this sense of where do I fit? Like, I know that for myself, and I shared this on our podcast, we went through a, a season of infertility. I've been married to Jonathan for 22 years. We have three children now, but the first six years of our marriage, we couldn't have children. So some of the questions that I asked was, who am I as a woman? What does my marriage mean? Like if I can't be fruitful and multiply. And I imagine 
when you come to a season of singleness, there are some of those deep existential questions as well that you're asking. What what are some of the questions that you sort of asked? I guess that soul searching as you discovered and, and moved into this vocation of singlehood. Oh, that's a good question. I, um, you know, I dated quite a bit and um, even, you know, even a couple of good Catholic guys, I can't, I want to say that they were all probably great marriage material, but I never, there was never someone I thought, oh my gosh, I want to give my life to. Because that's what I think marriage is. Well, we know it. The sacrament of marriage, you're you're handing your life over to a certain degree um, and helping bring someone to heaven. And I never really met someone I was willing. And then I, I kind of, at early stages, thought it was me. Oh, I'm being too picky, too selfish, too, too this, too that. And then, I, as I said, I threw a lot of, and you really need to spend a lot of time on your knees. I remember one priest tell me just pray in front of the blessed, blessed sacrament. And it's so true. Um, and the, the God will reveal it sometimes not as quickly as you want, but, um, and I finally came to the It's like, no, um, I'm not doing wrong things. I'm not being selfish. God wants me for himself. And I remember I would pray the rosary and, and each decade I had a different thing I would pray for. And each of the mysteries, the luminous, the, um, you know, the sorrowful, the glorious, the joyful, there'd be one decade that I'd pray for a husband like Joseph, St. Joseph. And then I started praying for just to, the, the peace to do God's will, whatever you want, God. And then that's when I started to, I had this sense, well, what about me, you know, from, 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 from Jesus? And so um, it was slow. It wasn't this kind of hit you over the head thing. Um, as it relates to, um, fertility and fruitfulness, uh, you know, without a doubt, um, there, there are different forms of fruitfulness and spiritual, um, maternity, spiritual motherhood. And give, I've been in a, a lot of roles where I've, I've, um, people have worked with or for me, and then I've been in teaching roles and those in particular are very, are great platforms to express this spiritual maturity, um, maternity. Um, I, I've read a fair amount of Edith Stein, and she's so wonderful on this topic, as is um, Pope um, Saint Pope John Paul II. And um, so, I, I for my, myself, I'm able to express it in a work context, not in a physical motherhood context. I, um, for God and His infinite wisdom, never instilled in me a really strong instinct to be a physical mother. I never was the type that played with dolls. Um, I assumed I'd always be a mother and I love children and I, I like love being with children. Um, and I don't know if that's common with a not. I think so for me, that hasn't been so much of a sacrifice or a burden um, across. I know for some women, not having physical children is is a great cross. Yes, yeah. There's many, and we'll come back to this, I think, because there's many blessings in each of the vocations, but there's also a cross in each of the vocations. And we can come back to that because 
walking with a lot of women here through our Sisterhood Catholic Women's Ministry in Australia, I find like a lot of women come to me and they're like, I'm really praying for a husband and they have their, their eyes absolutely set on this. And I do point out that you can actually be really lonely in a marriage. Like there are actually some things that are much worse than being single. Like I think sometimes we have that negative lens or, or some people throughout that journey of discernment feel like it's it's a real negative in their life and it's a real cross to bear which it is like I do acknowledge that but I also want to point out that there are also crosses in all vocations I know women who are religious sisters and there's a cross and a grief as well that comes with the blessing of that vocation and so I think we have to always keep that in mind that there is a cross and there is a blessing which each with each vocation and state of life and whatever one you find yourself in you know Jesus says pick up your cross and follow me and then we also are called to make a gift of ourselves in that particular vocation but you mentioned also, oh sorry oh I was just going to say I also think God gives us the crosses that we're meant to have yeah. so um I think so I, I say I write in the book I think a lot of people that have a vocation to dedicated single or being um dedicated to Christ in the real world if you will I think a lot of us too are introverts um and need a lot of time alone and I think a lot need are those that um that prayer in a, a pray in a contemplative way. And so I think, you know, many of us actually that, that alone time is something they embrace. It's not often across. It can be it without a doubt. It can be, but it's also, um, some of us are made to be alone. Yes. Yes. And that's how God's created uh, the human race. We're all different, all different expressions. So, Luann, I'm wondering, well, you mentioned Edith Stein, and I'm a big fan of Edith Stein. I think if I had a patron saint of the Genius Project, she would be it. But she talks very much, doesn't she, and unpacks beautifully this idea of a theology of womanhood and this idea of vocation. And vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to draw out, to call forth. I'm wondering through all the reading and I guess the reflection and study that you've done, if you can unpack that idea of vocation for us, because I think that we lose sight in the busyness and the hustle of this world. We lose sight of the fact that we're actually called, we're being drawn towards something. We're not just merely existing, trying to accumulate possessions and success and pleasure. We're actually made for something beyond this world. And so often I think in marriage, single life, religious life, sometimes we can get bogged down in just the heaviness and the weight of the mundane routine and forget that we've got to lift our gaze to heaven. We've got to keep our eyes on the fact that we have a vocation. We have an individual vocation, but we're also called to live our universal vocation in a particular state, whether that's religious life, being single for the Lord or through married life. So I'm wondering if you can unpack for us a little bit about this understanding of vocation, what that means, because I, I do believe that when we connect with this idea of vocation, a deeper meaning and purpose drops for us. As Christians, our number one vocation, each and every one of us, is to live out our baptismal promises. That is hands down our number one vocation to develop a relationship with Christ and to get ourselves to heaven um, through God's infinite graces. Um, and that is first and foremost. Um, 
we can all, we all should and strive to be saints no matter. And I think our, there's a, I think sometimes a little bit of a um, <clears throat> confusion or, or, or I should say overlap in the idea between states of life and vocation. Now in the Catholic church, the, voc the, the clear vocations that, um, that we speak of are ordained religious and marriage, ordained and religious married and, um, and single hasn't kind of fallen in there, but historically the, the two key vocations, the church has always thought of like as a state of life, meaning it's a permanent thing. And that's a key element to the understanding of vocation within the Catholic church. This is something that is thought of to be permanent. Marriage is permanent. Religious vows are permanent. Ordained life is permanent. And so for to be single, to be viewed, I think as single as a vocation, and I call it dedicated because you're dedicated or for the Lord, you go, you, your mindset is this isn't until something better comes around. This is where God has placed me until I die. And um, so I think that, so that's, that's vocation is kind of this sense of this old term of state of life where in the olden day, like back in, you know, until recent centuries, most of us lived in the same place and did the same thing our whole life. There's so much more fluidity and movement now. And so that sense of doing anything permanently is almost anathema to our culture. Um, and so that's where that, that sense of vocation being permanent is, is important within the church context. Having said that, um, the papal theologian who helped me on this, Father Wojciech Giertek, I'll never forget, he says, we're gonna find out our vocation um, when we go to heaven, there might be like one moment in your life that God made you for, and it's not necessarily going to have anything to do with your, um, your permanent vocation or your state of life. And, um, so, you know, in that sense, our vocation is to, to unity with God and to live, live Christ lived Christ today in today, the gospel reading for Monday um, was, you know, all about fulfilling the, the, the wounds that, that in, in Christ as, as kind of sacrificial in, in, in our sacrifice, you know, there's so much, that's the economy of, of how God works. Um, and I think in that respect, our vocation is living, letting Christ live through us. And um, so so I guess I'll stop it there, but I think I've write a lot about the idea of kind of what it means to be a vocation and, and, and how we've thought about it in the Catholic church. Um, I think you made a comment earlier that I do think is really important to address. And that is we live in obviously a fallen world, but we live in a particularly difficult time culturally. It, it's a it's a pretty bad cultural waters we live in. Absolutely. And there more and more now there are more adults that are single than there are married. And marriage, the rate of marriage has, has gone down in, in most countries, certainly in the developed world and not for good reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a little bit of an added cross for those who take their faith very seriously and feel called to live in the world espouse to Christ. And um, because most, a lot of people, and especially faithful people, there's this assumption, like the rest of society, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're too selfish, or you're living like that, the kind of 
the non-ideal that you see out there. And the other kind of challenging issue is single in our society can mean anything from like libertine, crazy lifestyle to living, you know, a life like a, a religious sister, if you will. And so there's no kind of outward, there, there are some outward markers. I mean, perhaps how you dress and how you act without a doubt, but um, you're kind of put in the same category as, as like this vast pool that could, of people that, that are swimming in so many different directions. Yes. So how do you set yourself apart, I guess, living the dedicated single life? Well, it's really by your life. Um, you, you know, there's there's so many ways in which you stand out. When you have friends, vi visitors over and you get up to go to daily mass or you um, you have you have iconography in your house or a prayer corner, the way you talk, the way you interact and treat people, um, the way you dress, the way you serve others. Oh my gosh, I think it's... Um, it's, it just kind of, it almost screams, but in a subtle way mm. um, that there's something different. About you. Yes. No, it's beautiful. So Luann, you wrote this book, Single for a Greater Purpose. I'm interested if you can unpack, I guess, the core premise there, because you talk about a greater purpose and the hidden joy and the hidden hope that is in within this vocation that I think people aren't really connected with on many levels. Can you unpack a little bit about your book and I guess some of the core gems that are in your book, Single for a Greater Purpose? Well, I, when the working title was A Hidden Joy in the Catholic Church because um, when I, well, when I finally discerned that Christ was calling me to himself in the, in the world, the, I had such a peace come over me and a deep joy that despite the hardest times, it's never left me. I never had a profound peace until I came to this realization. Um, and I think a lot of people who are searching um, or, or waiting for their vocation to unfold in the case of marriage life or trying to figure out which, you know, which religious congregation, whatever the case may be, until you find it, you're, you're searching. There's a little bit of a lack of peace. And I know, I know a number of, of single women and men who, even though they're older and they kind of assume they're not going to get married there's still a sense of it might happen. And I think, and there's a quote by a close friend who's a really extraordinary woman, devout, devout woman. She goes, there's always a little bit of a lack of peace and emptiness there. And I felt it, I, I, I know that feeling well, um, until, until, until I embrace Christ wholeheartedly, like permanently. Um, so, now I'm losing the train of thought what the original question was. I was going somewhere with that and I forgot where I was that's going. Okay. It was the core premise. You started with the working title of the book. And oh, the work. That's right. So hidden joy. So since, sorry, no, it's since, so good. <laughs> that realization, you know, I, it's been a joy and yet it's hidden because on the surface, on the surface, like who wants to be that spinster? Who wants to be that old, you know, single person? On the surface, it's kind of like nothing you'd ever want. And in fact, it's so interesting because I quote in here, 
It was um, Augustine who, and then during, you know, the early centuries of the church, virginity, and, you know, before religious orders, it, there were, you know, consecrated virgins, they'd often live at home. Um, and then gradually over the centuries, it, it, it evolved into, into congregational religious life. But um, there was a warning, early popes and August, Augustine said, warning, don't become too prideful because people put that vocation so on a pedestal and you thought, you know, it was so easy to become prideful. And I think how ironic, because today, if you're, you, you know, you, you live a chaste life and you're single, Yes. People just, they think it's the worst thing going. And so it is very hidden. And I'm like, on the contrary, it's a vocation that supports greater humility. And I, I, I am absolutely convinced humility is the fourth um, theological virtue. Humility is so important as mother, our blessed mother says to um, St. Faustina in, in um, she said, like what she asked her, what are the most important um, virtues. And she says, humility, humility, humility. Um, and so this is an, an innately humble vocation, but, but joyful. And then the, the editor, he didn't think that that would be understood. And I, one of my chapters, I, I'd label it single for a greater purpose. And what's so interesting is I don't even, it was so, it was one of these kind of throwaway. I just popped it out. I didn't even think much of it. And it was trying to differentiate being single in a way that's um, not not your secular um, secular way of being single, but single um, for something deeper and more profound. Yes, yeah, it's and I think that's really important too. There's a conscious choice that you obviously made there, and a lot of women make. But I'm wondering if you address this in the book and what your advice is to women who really feel called to marriage. And we know that there aren't a lot, you know, once you reach a certain age, sometimes there's not a lot of good men left in the church because a lot of them do get married earlier. What's your advice to the woman who really has that longing and that grief? She does, she yearns to have children, she yearns to have a family, but that hasn't happened for her. How can she come to peace with that in her life? Well, I think, um, I think we are, it, I consider this kind of like after World War I and World War II, um, we're dealing with a lot of called war debt. After World War I and World War II, so many men died that you had such a mismatch between the number of men and women. And there were a lot of women that could not get married. They're, they're physically were not men. Now today, as you said, like the good ones off the quote unquote good ones, if you will, um, get married early. Um, and there, there really is, there are, there are fewer and fewer people out there that are, um, are formed in a way that truly can, um, engage in a sacramental marriage. Mm. Um, there are, they're deeply wounded people, whether it's psychologically, whether it's spiritually, they have no sense economically, I go through kind of there's morally, economically, psychologically, spiritually, there are many reasons why um, there are fewer mar marriageable people. Mm -hmm. And women, I think, more so for women, um, we, we're dealing with a, a profound economic challenge where there are fewer men working now than even women. And so um, historically, women would always would, would tend to wear marry men that 
would have greater earnings power or at least earnings power. And that's, we've reversed that. Women are graduating from um, university and graduate programs at much greater degrees than men. So, um, so yes, there it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a difficult marriage quote unquote market out there. Um, and there are many women. And in fact, there's a quote in here from Pope Pius XII that he writes a beautiful quote about addressing those women that had dreams of getting married and after the war couldn't and how they, um, God has them in the, in the crook of his hand. God knows what he's doing. And that's where you just have to learn to trust. God loves us and knows us better than we know and love ourselves. And as much, you know, that's where we just, you have to, and that's what I had to do. You pray for detachment, a prayer, a, a prayer for God, not my will, but your will. And he truly will gradually um, either, I don't know if I say change your mind, he's gonna, he gradually gives you a peace and a sense that whatever unfolds is, is the right thing. And, and so I think, I, I, I do think when you're so gun ho on something and it almost, you become depressive about not getting it. It, it is a lack of trust and, and, and this sense that you know better than God. It's a hard message to hear, isn't it? I think about times in my life. I mean, I'm married and I have children, but there's things that I've prayed for over the years. And obviously one of those was children. And there's been other prayers and intentions that I've prayed for and the Lord hasn't answered them. And there's been a, a desperation in my heart and in my prayer where I don't know, you look back, it's like a Job experience and you look back and once you've actually walked that journey, it's only in hindsight you can see that the Lord was leading you, shaping you, changing you, conforming you more to his image through that, I guess, that cross or that journey, whatever that is. And as you were speaking, I was thinking of that scripture, you know, the potter's, the clay in the potter's hand, how the Lord shapes us and molds us. And I remember reading that during a particular season of praying for an intention. And the words came to me, well, Lord, sustain me while you're shaping me. Because, yes, we, we can surrender to him. We can say, yes, Lord, change me, shape me, do what you will with me. But there's still what you're talking about, that internal battle, that internal struggle. And we need him to sustain us as we continue to keep coming before him, don't we? And, and laying that down, laying our desires down. I will, I've said this a number of times. Our greatest disappointments often end up being our greatest blessings. Yeah. Often I've looked back and I said, thank goodness that didn't happen or that did happen or whatever. And I, I also call another, I love Walter Sizek and the um, Jesuit who was in a Russian Siberian prisoner of war camp for like 20 years. Crazy. Amazing. He leadeth me. It's an incredible book. He was so strong-willed. I mean, he was so strong-willed when he was a youngster in Pennsylvania, his dad actually had the local policeman arrest him or put him in jail for a night or something because he was kind of a, a little bit of a hooligan and he just said he needs to learn a lesson and I always think God don't let me be so strong-willed or so pig-headed if you will like so hard that it takes 20 years, years. <laughs> in a Siberian prison camp up in Siberia he finally said he had his 
real conversion because wow. he was so anxious about the, 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 to the torments he was going through and the tortures. And finally he says, I give up, I give up God. That's it. I give up. And he says, at that moment, I became a Christian. Wow. And I think it, that's what God, that's what it took for him. And you think, Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Job is the same. He reached the we reached yeah. the book of Job and he's like, he gives and he takes away, and I'll say blessed be his name. Like it's yeah, it's it's a, quite an extraordinary message, isn't it? Like we can hear it as Catholics and, and as Christians living our life, but to really start to live into that is is something else which takes a really great surrender. And I love that litany of surrender. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, going from the head to the heart, and that's a painful journey often. Yes, it is. Luann, look, I'm wondering if you can highlight for me, I'd love to do this, and we're looking at this in each of the different vocations and states of life, but really, what are the greatest blessings in this vocation? Because sometimes we can be fo so focused on the negative that I guess what we focus on grows, right? So, it's, I often find in marriage, if we're going through a difficult season, that if I focus on gratitude of what I'm grateful for in my marriage, what I'm grateful for about how Jonathan shows up and serves, that grows and, and the irritations are dialed down. So I'm wondering, what are the blessings in this vocation and this season for you? And then I guess looking at what are the crosses and how we can deal with those. So um, time for me is one of the greatest blessings. I'm really busy in my job. And I think a lot of, many of us who have this vocation are very active in our jobs and different volunteer and, and many different ways to be busy. But um, when, you, when you don't have to get up in the morning to feed your children or to go to morning prayer, like you, it, it, I think it's the most dangerous vocation because you have to create your own discipline and make sure that using that time in a, in a fruitful, godly way. Um, but if you do, there's, you, you could, like, you really have time to pray. You can spend an hour, two hours in the morning where in, where even I know religious, often in a religious life, the, the schedules are pretty, are pretty rigid and tight where this is, this is a vocation where you can mold your day to what, what most suits you spiritually. And so for those of us, you know, who have more of a contemplative or introverted um, or orientation, I think it, it, it's really wonderful. Um, it also leaves you free to kind of serve many people. I think um, it's a vocation that potentially provides a lot of variety um, because you have the freedom to do different things. And so... Um, for those of us that tend to like to have variety, I think that's also a great blessing. You know, the, the great fear I think most of us many have is what's going to happen when we get old, who's going to take care of us. And I, I mean, I'm not there yet. Um, um, Father Groeschel, I remember going on retreat with him once and he had this really practical advice. He says, get to know your nieces and nephews very well. Yes. I thought that was it's very good advice, actually. Yeah. Um, and so I think the greatest fear is is like being left alone, dying by yourself. But you're not by yourself. You know, even if you end up dying 
without another person next to you. God is with you and he, he's going to take extra special care. It's again, it's back to trust. Mm. Um, God knows what he's doing. And boy, you give yourself to him. He's going to repay you a hundredfold. He really will. Yeah, it's beautiful. Luan, I'm wondering if you can share with me how, I guess, the other vocations can support women who have chosen to be dedicated in the single life. And we're sort of looking at how the vocations complement each other like I know for us raising a family like we've had a lot to do with the missionary of God's love order here in Australia and the Dominican sisters from Nashville and we've been to the mother house in Nashville and my children have experienced I guess those routines of prayer we stayed there for a week and we go to prayer with them it was just such a rich and a beautiful experience of I guess this complementarity of vocation how each of us can I guess learn from one another in our different states of life but I'm wondering how we can come along, people in religious life, people who are married, come alongside women who are living the single life and support them. What are some insights that you could offer married women, religious women, on how we can best support women living the single life? Well, one thing that I think is really help, helpful or I, I really um, appreciate is when my married friends with kids or not, they bring you into the family. And I think that can be so beautiful um, to, to, to have experiences in, in the family with others um, and to be helpful, especially with kids, whatever the case may be. Um, I think one thing that a single, a, a joyful, I mean, just, if, if, if you're not, if you're not joyful, then, that you, that's something you, you, God wants us to be happy and joyful. And I think there's no better. It's like, honey, you, you collect people with honey. And if you're joyful, that's infectious, that attracts. And I think if you can live your vocation in a joyful way, I think that shows both married men and women that um, to perhaps place less um, pressure or weight or onus on your spouse to make you happy. Um, that we're, we each alone have to develop a, a, a close relationship with God. And um, we can be happy with God alone. So I think sometimes marriages, especially in more modern days, there's so much burden placed on them to make people happy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, that's tough sometimes. I think for, I, what I notice is there are, at least in the States, a lot of priests live alone, um, depending how things are structured. And I, um, I think I often get together, I know in both New York and in Maine, other dedicated single women um, or married women, and often we'll come together and invite a priest over. Um, and I think it's really important to reach out to priests, but you know, in a prudent fashion, of course, in a very prudent fashion. And um, what I notice is often many of us are um, dedicated singles. We have the time to read a lot of theology and to read and keep, and often you can have very thoughtful or deep conversations with religious or priests around those issues, but yet you have such a, a, a um, secular world or real quote unquote real world perspective on things. Um, so you really kind of have a foot, you're like you have a foot in both camps and I think it provides a particular perspective that can be helpful to priests or religious. 
Um, and then prayer. I, I should have started with that. Um, and many of us, I know I have feel a strong commitment to be praying for our priests. They are under such attack and um, they need our prayers. They, that, that's number one. And, you know, when you're a single dedicated single, you don't have children. I, I, I would imagine, I don't know, 75% of the prayer time of, of married oh. women, of mothers is their children. So, <laughs> so if you're not praying for children, you have like free, free space on your hard drive to be praying for others. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's often filled with priests. Yeah, beautiful. And I think it's that call, isn't it? Each um, person will have their own unique call or drawing towards a particular way to intercede. When you said that, I'm picturing you praying in the peace and the silence. <laughs> I think about my prayer this morning. I, I get up and have my shower early and then I, I have an hour of prayer. I try to have an hour of prayer in my bedroom and I have two doors that are shut. And uh, I can hear the sliding door open. I'm like, ah, I'm praying. <laughs> it's like you sort of constantly being drawn out of that and the irritation. I'm like, no, I was just praying. It's like, <laughs> give me a moment. <laughs> but, you know, if uh, the fact that you you work for an hour every morning, that's extraordinary, actually. Oh, I mean, I that's, try. that's really extraordinary. It doesn't always happen, but I, I think my husband and I very early on, one of the Carmelite priests actually said to us, he's now a bishop, he said, the success of your marriage will depend on how well you each cultivate your individual prayer life. And so Jonathan and I have always fought for each other to get that time and to go to adoration. So that's always been something that we've fought for one another to get. So but I find he's an early morning person. He'll get up at 4 a.m. and he'll have his hour then before he goes off cycling. He's always been a little strange <laughs> in that regard. But I've battled, you know, when my kids were really young, it just wasn't possible to get the same kind of prayer. They're, they're early teens now and so. But that's your prayer, obviously. It is. You know? And I, I think um, Claire Dwyer wrote a beautiful book, This Present Paradise, on St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she speaks very much into, I guess, women who can't get that time for prayer when they've got little children. And I really recommend that to women listening if you're a young mother to get that yeah. book because it's that perspective. We can put so much pressure on ourselves as women and to tick the boxes and, and then we can become a little too rigid. But really, like, the question is, where is God asking you to serve? Where is he asking you to make an offering in your vocation? And, yeah, it's it's a beautiful perspective shift. And you've picked up on this a number of times that we're living in really interesting times at the moment in terms of just globally what's happening. But just the whole, I guess, the insidious nature of this self-absorbed culture that we're in, that it's all about me. And I think what you've done so beautifully today is helped elevate our gaze towards, I guess, a greater vision, like the Lord's vision, like a greater plan that he has for each of our lives, especially, I guess, for yourself and for women living a dedicated single life. You know, um, one thing I wrote about this a bit in the introduction, because we're living in such a, a difficult moment um, where it's a very sexualized culture. Yes. And um, so someone who can live a, a joyful life, giving up what society puts so much emphasis on and yet be joyful, I think that's, that's, that's a strong, that can be a really powerful witness. I also think 
were increasingly less churched and more and more, I know that's the case in Australia, it's definitely the case in the United States where more and more the younger people categorizing themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, no meaning low, no religious affiliation. Well, it's so, before you'd see a priest or religious and anyone can relate and they know, oh, that's a holy person. Now they're so distant from that understanding of even what that is. So it's, I think God may be calling more people out, you know, dedicated singles and married um, and married people. But the thing with a dedicated single, especially a woman, is you're able to work probably often, you know, in a more intense way or out in the field, um, meeting people that probably would have no access to a religious or a yes. or an ordained. And so effectively, you're you're there probably often could be their only link to the um to, faith, to, to kind of a, a model of of christianity yeah. um and so it's i do think it may be like a vocation for the time um you know in the 20th century we have that the church there's been you you have the prelate opus day and you have these um you have different kind of religious orders where the you're you're kind of out more active and i think this is just kind of one more perhaps another expression of how the holy spirit might be operating it's just mm. um needs people in all corners of the world that are kind of freed up if you will yes um yeah so beautiful i'm thinking of a friend of mine and she's living you know single life and she's living it magnificently actually and she's such an incredible gift to people <laughs> Such a beautiful heart. It's, I often think of her as this shepherdess. She just, not the shepherd, but the shepherdess who, who just notices and observes all the people on the fringes and she goes out and she's constantly meeting with them and meeting their needs and being present, being available in a way that I simply cannot in my current season. And I, I often sit back and just really have so much deep respect for her in the way that she does that. It's, it's quite beautiful. Well, Luann, thank you so much for joining us on the Genius Podcast. Where can people go to find your book, Single for a Greater Purpose? Um, it's so you can get it. It's it's published by um, Sophia Press. So I, I've I pulled it out. It's been a fantastic. Um, it's it's published by Sophia Press, but I, you can still get it on Amazon. So either Sophia Press or just Beautiful. just on Amazon and. Um, I'll put some links to it in the show notes so people can to check that out. Thank you so much. So blessed by this conversation. Well, thank you. And I will, I will pray for the listeners. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Luann and you really got something out of it. So if you'd like to purchase a copy of Luann's book, you can find Single for a Greater Purpose on the Sophia Institute Press website, which is www.sophiainstitute.com. So ladies, in closing this week, I just really want to encourage you to head on over to our website, www.geniusproject.co and sign up for the live virtual Catholic Women's Summit. This is a free event that you can attend. This will be our third live virtual Catholic Women's Summits. The last one we had over a thousand women gathering from all around the world. So ladies, I don't want you to miss out on this event. It is going to be incredible. The women who I've invited to come and share and pour into you 
have something really special, as have all of our guests on the summits. But these women are really just wanting to fill your cup over these couple of days. So please make sure you go on over and register for the event on our website, www.geniusproject.co. Until next week, ladies, have a really beautiful week. God bless you. And I look forward to you joining us next week as we continue this conversation on vocation.